This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you love underground music and movies, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed shirts, vinyl, CDs, and more. Go to portlanddistro.com. Plug in the discount code MikeHill666 for 15% off at portlanddistro.com. Hello, everyone. It's time for another episode of Unholy Passion. Ralph, how are you? It's a beautiful spring day here in uh, on the East Coast, the United States. How are things going with you? I just survived uh, the great flood because uh, all hell broke loose yesterday. Uh, like two days prior to that, I was running around in shorts because it was so fucking hot. And uh, yesterday we had rehearsal with Ropes of Night and they mm-hmm. said there will be a hailstorm or something. Dude, I've never seen a deluge like this. My car was actually like ankle high in water. So I had to like take like wade through this waters of, in front of our rehearsal space to get to my car. And like trees got torn down and like everything is fucked up. The city's underwater for some parts. It's uh, it, it's insane, man. And now, now today it's a bit better, but it's humid as fuck and still gray skies so it's weird but still i'm doing fine how are you doing all right we had uh we had a storm last night man it was like uh i was driving home and um suddenly there's this just like deluge of rain and uh yeah of course new jersey is prone to flooding and um you know so there was like some minor flooding going on in the streets but you know you know it's a little harrowing for a while but uh, then it's then the sun came out, which is like the most bizarre thing, you know. Yes. Yeah. Weird. And it it makes it it makes the the humidity so intense. I mean, here I guess with you guys too, it's it's just like it's not my my kind of weather. I have to say, like I re- I always think back on when when Tombs and Planks toured the states, and we <laughs> we summertime. played in, <laughs> yeah, and and we we played. Oh my god, we that was the venue of the Brave Young Guys. It was some somewhere. I just I don't know where was this. It was uh, I, I think Greens Greensboro, like South yeah. Carolina or some Chapel Hill, yes. like in that area. Yeah. Yeah, I just remember because like the van had this crazy ass AC, so I was, was sitting in the back with the jeans on and the zipper, and then we opened the door and it was like running against the wall because it was so fucking humid. Yeah. And then you go into the venue and then it's cold again. And I mean, we we like us Germans or the Europeans don't fancy ACs that much. But I remember like this tour, like being AC on, AC off, AC on, AC off. But yeah, like I, I don't dig humidity. That's not my, my thing. Yeah, I'm not a fan of it either. Uh, you know, that's why summertime is kind of like, I'm, I'm not a big summer person really. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, me neither. But yeah, I mean, humidity will also be part of the thing we're talking about because uh the thing we will talk about is set in a place where there's a lot of humidity. That's right. Yeah. It's yes. interesting that you brought this movie up because I, I um, really have been a fan of this film. It's one of these things that I go back to. I probably watch it like maybe two or three times a year, to be honest. Yeah. And I mean, I know you love Taxi Driver and it's probably like one of your top three movies ever. Yes, right? absolutely. Yeah. Is, yeah. And, and, and I mean, I love... I love Taxi Driver as well, 
But then again, I think we're back to our ongoing topic of like me being 10 years younger. Because like for me, since I saw uh, Cape Fear before I saw um, Taxi Driver. So for me, it will always be Max Katie over Traffic Bickle. But they have like some traits in common. But like I love both these movies, but Cape Fear is like hands down one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, it really is. And and the, the for me, I saw the movie. I'm not sure if I saw it in the theater or on VHS, but I did see it shortly after it was released. So it must have been it must have been in in the theater because uh, back then it took like a long time for the VHS to come out of a movie. So. Yeah. But I wasn't aware of it being a remake of an earlier film, a 1962 film. Yeah. So, uh, so I also look going back to revisit that like years later was actually really cool. Yes. Yeah. It was just like uh, I'm. Yeah. Like at first, I think I, I. It took me some time to to get like locked off this uh, metal matters uh, approach to things, like with an hour and mostly music related. But then Randy and you did the one about the Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> um, and I'm like, yeah, man, right. I mean, we talked about Joker before and everything went black and, and other things. And I'm like, so why why not bring this up? And I I was like, I had this on my list to rewatch for such a long time. And I'm like, this has to be a movie Mike is into too. So why not approach this? And yeah, I'm glad we're doing this. It sounds like the version that you have is is really cool like you said it's like three discs it's got all it's like extras on it and it's got both both versions of the film right yes it's it's, it's still like it's this this these uh cheap ass packages where you like have a like extra a regular sized dvd tray which doesn't look really fancy and has like a split screen cover with like the black and white poster of the 1962 one and the the bluish purple bluish one of, of the 91 version and then when you open it up, it's it's like there's uh, on the one side it's the old Cape Fear, on the other side it's like two discs on top of each other. And like as I said, like I, I just found out that there's this bonus material, and I'm like, oh, I should watch this. I I was uh, thinking about getting the Blu-ray version, and there's also the same package as the Blu-ray, but I've not I I didn't find out if uh, or I couldn't find out if this is being restored or something. Because I think like to get a Blu-ray of a '90s movie only makes sense if they re like rework the picture a bit because right. yeah otherwise it will look crap and then I can just stick to the DVD and uh, but yeah man it was uh, I was like I told you I've never seen the '62 version prior to last week and now I watched it twice already and to to get ready for the podcast and I'm really glad I did it's like two really good movies. That that version that you're talking about reminds me, like the you know the the double feature DVD reminds me of something that you would buy at like um, you know like a Love's Truck Stop or something like that in the middle of the country. Yes, you right. see those like packages. Like I remember one time I bought like the first three Alien movies like on DVD and yeah, and uh, you'd get these weird bootlegs. I have one of um, Cobra and Tango and Cash. Like these ah, two nice. Stallone films, it's like, <laughs> and um, yeah, those those are they they have to be bootlegs, I imagine, like the things you yes. buy at truck stops. But uh, but yeah, those are always fun to find on the road. Yeah, it's 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 the same thing with um, I mean, like a lot of these things that came out at the beginning of the DVD technology, 
was just like I think VCRs attached to like a digital like uh, machine and just like grab the video off the like record the VHS quality video and put it on a disc. Yeah. And it's kind of like the same when you when you get re reissues of um, of older records that you like that will be reproduced now on vinyl. Mostly they just take the CD master and put it on vinyl, which like to some point in some vinyl forms doesn't make any sense or doesn't sound really good. And I just got the the, the reissues of the uh, first two My Bloody Valentine records. Right. And they, and they've been uh, remastered by Kevin Shields on an analog machine. And this like on vinyl now sounds amazing. I'm really glad I have those. And uh, yeah, so so getting these bootleg DVDs, it's cool to have those. And but um, I I mean you I heard you guys talk on, on Necromaniacs about it. I'm also downsizing with all the all the stuff. Like I've been selling a lot of tapes because of I don't know. I collected about. 300 black metal demo tapes over the years and getting rid of some stuff i'm giving away all my cds because it's everything is on spotify or whatever or i just like i just keep like the essentials like the swan cds that i pledged money for and that has like an autograph or something and i'm doing the same with movies now so i took a whole stack of movies to um to school and just like made a box in the in the teacher's lounge like take them and then I, I took one of the, I don't even know which movie it was because I had to do a fill-in lesson and what just wanted to show kids the movie. And I, I totally forgot about, do you remember the technology in the beginning of DVDs where the, the discs weren't big enough so they had like two layers? So oh, you yeah. watched the movie and all of a sudden it stopped for like a, like a snap second and then you could show like, whoop, the laser went back to the front and then they played the second, uh, second layer. I'm like, oh, right, that's happened too, yeah. That's insane. I remember that. That was that's like a very bizarre uh, technological, uh, you know, like thing. Yeah. And and now we have Blu-rays with sheer infinite space from from what I feel. Or you just go to Amazon Prime and there's like, um, there's like movies you haven't seen in ages, digitally remastered, and you pay like a, a, a euro here or two euros and you can watch it in 4K and it's insane. Yeah. Yeah, the streaming world has um, really exploded, man. It's like with all there's, there's other channels out there like Tubi, which I don't yes. know. Do they have, they have that in Europe? You can access. No, that. no, they don't. I can't access. No. Which is actually they have quite a bit of stuff on there, and it's um, I mean it has commercials, but it's yeah. free, you know. So it's yeah, not, it's pretty cool, you know. There's a lot of and stuff. See, on this, this is the stuff that me being like a, a movie and show addict is I'm still so pissed about like how how can stations or like broadcasting uh, companies still not get that us Europeans we don't want to wait for five months until the season of something that airs in America comes out here just because they need them time to to dub it. So, like, for example, when Game of Thrones was still on, the only chance you had was, like, having Sky, which is, like, the most expensive streaming platform, and they have the most annoying apps, so to watch it, it's terrible. And then um, it ha- only had, like, for, for in the beginning, which is no problem for me, they only had the English language, and then it took three days to have the dubbing. But there's still, like, a lot of stations that don't have like a counterpart here in Europe to broadcast it. I mean, HBO is mostly stuff on Sky. We have Netflix and Amazon Prime and stuff. But for example, 
there's this show um killing eve i don't know if you've saw, seen that yeah I, I'm, I'm aware of that show definitely it, i think i've seen a couple episodes it has like it gotten such good feedback and it's i don't know is it hulu or no handmaid's tales hulu but i i don't know epic or something but there's no no jet no station here no no streaming service that has that and you can you can buy it on amazon for like four euros for one episode which would make like 40 euros for a season of a tv show and i'm like i'm not paying this no, no so no. a lot of a lot of europeans still use like illegal platforms or f plus movies or something to to watch stuff that you just can't get here and i'm super annoyed with that as much as i love all the streaming stations and channels and all that stuff it's funny because um you know we're we're during during the pandemic is like when everyone became uh part of the matrix <laughs> you yes. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. And and a lot of that, as much as I love watching movies, and you know, I I spend a lot of time like on these channels and whatnot. I um, you know, the whole advent of MS Teams or doing things over Zoom. Um, yes. You know, you're you're in your compartment and you're just connected in this big web. Uh, contributes, you know, and, and of course, social media and all this other stuff contributes just to like the the, the very uh, solipsistic um, kind of lifestyle that society kind of is gravitating towards, and that makes me like super uncomfortable, you know. Yes, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's it's I don't know, man. It's like we, we talked about it before. We're both not like the outgoing party people. So, but now here, finally, like some steps into reopening stuff are happening because they finally got their vaccination strategy like a bit bit better, but still not really good. But like I got my first shot, which was by accident. I'm still not entitled to, even though I'm a teacher. Oh man! But I found yeah, I found a way through my uh, through my doctor that did the surgery on my nose a couple of weeks ago. And so now I'm, I have one vaccination and it's still just like, I think 9% of all Germans have both vaccinations and, but they're opening up stuff now and everybody's like, Oh, I want to go. Like everybody's hanging out at beer gardens right now because that's the German thing. You know, everybody's like posting pictures of their, of their, um, vaccination pass that you need to have with like both shots or you have to be tested and mm -hmm. then you can go to the bars. And everybody's posting their shitty uh, form uh, and their papers and, and their beer glass in the sun. And the only thing I want to do is go to the cinema, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, too, there's 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 this small cinema here in Cologne that I totally love. It's like a, it's like two two people that are just like film fanatics took like this old small cinema of like a suburb. And reconstructed it it only has one room with 60 seats but like a high-tech engine in it it sounds great the seats are fucking comfortable they only serve like a small amount of, of treats so it's not like a straight-up popcorn movie a cinema and they do like smaller runs it's not an art house thing but they do for example they did like a hellraiser one and two feature night when they started and they bring back old movies they did retrospect and shit and they announced that they can open up back again and like once you are here in like in uh once you come to visit we will go to that cinema because everything is in english that they play 
And for example, they finally they will show Possessor in the cinema. Oh, wow, which I'm hell yeah! Super, super stoked to see this in a movie theater, and I'm really glad that they made it. And they're like, uh, they posting like a lot of like relief on Facebook. I'm like showing them love, and I'm like, oh man, can't wait to like move into your cinema, you know? <laughs> yes, things things are opening. Very, I mean, they they just did away with the mask mandate here in New Jersey on uh, a yeah. week, about a week ago. And uh, yeah. I mean, I still, you know, people are still wearing them and a lot of businesses ask you to wear a mask and I, I, I carry one. Like I don't, you know, I, I yeah. still wear, wear one when I go into uh, someone's place of business. You know what I mean? I just, yeah. you know, I want to be respectful. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not this right wing guy who's entitled and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah. You know, but then again, if someone's like, all right, you don't have to, then I'll I'll do whatever someone wants me to do, basically, because I'm not, you know, I'm not so desperate to cling on to some identity that uh, that I have to, uh, you know, like assert, yeah. assert myself all the time, you know? Yeah. And, and this is like people, people in cinemas were bitching about having to wear a mask uh, for like the majority of the movie. But if they eat popcorn or drink something, they can take it down. But it's just like people were bitching about this, and I'm like, like they have the regulations. So for stuff inside, you're still like you're still forced to wear a mask. And still in the comment section, people are like, oh, this is bullshit and blah. It's like, dude, shut the fuck up. If this is the terms they can open under, just like if you really love cinema and you love the people running cinemas, then shut your mouth and wear the shitty mask for two hours. Where's the fucking deal? You know, it's it's just like uh, it's it's still limited capacity and everything. So they will not make a big buck on showing a movie, but yeah. they want to show like we're still here, we're still doing this, and like all in. And as long as like businesses that I attend to still ask us to wear masks, I will kindly wear a mask. You know? Yeah, it's like the movie theaters are still closed. Venues are still mostly closed. Um, I believe in July in New York, uh, things are going to be open. And then by the fall, they're projecting like, you know, there's, they're starting to announce shows and, uh, you know, big tours, things like that. So, um, so yeah, that, that's, but still, it's funny. Like we were talking to, you know, we're, we're, t we're talking about a film on this episode. So oh yeah, <laughs> that, that, um, all I was going to say is how that relates to it is that relating to time management and, as you know, time management's like very important in my life. And the yeah. time that I would have spent going to shows and going out to movies, that's where the time comes from. Because I'm thinking about, man, I'm, I'm watching a lot of movies, man, a lot of shows. Yeah. I'm like, and I always read. So that's, always, that's a constant, you know, the few hours mm. a day that I spend reading. That's constant, regardless of the pandemic. But the, the volume of, of, um, you know, cinematic material that I've been taking in is that's where the differential comes in is the differential yes. of not going out on Friday and Saturday night, yeah. you know, or during the week to go see a band play or go to a movie. That's where the time is coming to watch movies here and stream shows yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. And I mean, the big winners of this whole thing, like next to some politicians are the streaming platforms. I think like, I don't know, like 11 times more customers than Netflix ever had or something. It's it's crazy. And I mean, you can see by the sheer amount of material they're, they're pouring out that people need this. And I, uh, uh, Danny, like she's always like, oh man, I need a new show to watch. Uh, 
because she's just in home office all the time and her work like is when she's finished working then she's finished and then she starts watching stuff and i'm always like dude i want to watch so much stuff but like i i'm going to school teaching i have to grade papers so like i'm always a bit behind and I'm like so for me this pandemic like I of course I watched a lot of stuff but not as not that much more than usually because my job was going on all the time like in front of people yeah yeah it's uh one of, one of the biggest drags for me is when I when I moved out here to this town in Jersey uh there's um there's a mall nearby that has uh one of those big AMC uh theaters that's like Eight, an eight minute walk from where I live or maybe a 10 minute walk mm-hmm. and like a five minute drive um, and they have it's one of those dine in theaters where you can order like a meal and all that kind of stuff because you know in the United States Americans have to eat 24 7 they, they can't not be eating in this country you know oh man so <laughs> so um, oh, man. that's like a big thing these days like the, you can order drinks and coffee and, and like a full meal and enjoy that with your uh, watching your film you know the so, so there's actually a waiter coming to your place in cinema while the movie's running and serving you steaks and French fries. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um, the oh, uh, what the hell? They've started with uh, this the the ale, what the hell is it called? Something ale house or whatever draft house, Alamo Draft House, and then mm-hmm. they moved on to like other theaters, and then now the AMC in their major multiplexes, some of them are dying in theaters like that. And, oh uh, man! But I mean, I'm not I'm not one to order like an entire meal when I go watch a movie. But <laughs> but the fact is that you know if I, there there I if I wanted to go watch like a a mainstream film any day of the week, I could go like a five minutes drive and be there. And also, when I first looked at this town, there was a a in a, a an old movie theater, and that's like right down the block from where I live, called the Forum. And I remember reading about, you know, in the local news when I was just figuring out if I wanted to you know, live here or not, that there was all it became like um, like a community center and there was all these plans of renovating it and they were going to open it up. And I was like, wow, that's that's great, man. That means there'll be some kind of like, you know, film festival kind of stuff going on there. Mm-hmm. And then I visualize, well, you know, there'll be a, maybe a Necromaniacs movie night like once a month. I'd be able to rent the place out and show like. You know, Dario Argento films or, you know, have like a Hellraiser night or something like that. You know, that'd be awesome. But still, they haven't done anything with it like over a year. It's been like a year and a half now. So the Mm -hmm. pandemic kind of ruined that idea for now. So fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, man. So um, Cape Fear. Yeah. November 5th, 1991 is when it came out. Directed by Martin, Martin, Martin Scorsese. And it's a bit on the long side, with a runtime of 128 minutes. But uh, but it, it doesn't it doesn't, a, doesn't it feel like it. Definitely not. It's an epic, but yeah. it, it's well paced, which means it's well edited. And uh, a bit of an all star cast of uh, of people who were uh, you know kind of like really really popular actors in the early 90s. Of course, we have uh, the maestro Robert De Niro as uh, Max Cady. We have Nick Nolte as Sam Bowden. They're the uh, antagonist and protagonist in this film. And uh, we'll get into the complexity of those two characters, too. 
Yes. We have the lovely Jessica Lang as Lee Bowden and the up and coming at the time, Juliette Lewis as Danielle Bowden. We have the uh, immortal Do- Joe Don Baker, who uh, we might know him from Walking Tall, <laughs> among other films. And now, most interesting, interesting, we have Robert Mitchum and Gregory Peck. They yes. are uh, were in. They were the stars of the former of the original 1962 film. Yeah, and also Marty uh, Balsam is uh, uh, is also in the original movie. The um, he plays uh, the lawyer in the new Cape Fear, like yes. in the 91 Cape Fear, and he's uh, he's like the the assistant to the chief in police, I think, in the original. So three three cameos and boy Robert Mitchum and Gregory Peck like <laughs> unbelievable and it's Gregory Peck's last role I think before he like his last uh, movie role before he passed. Yeah. Wow, I you know I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. And uh, one last cast member I want to mention is uh, the the lovely Ileana Douglas who in the early nineties was in in in, in the eighties and the nineties she was in a lot of films she was kind of like a uh, very prolific supporting actress and um you know she was in like uh you know goodfellas like scorsese utilized her quite a bit you know and i've always thought that she had these very uh unique uh good looks in my opinion yeah see she's pretty much the only character that you really have sympathy for in this movie i think yes every every character is very complex and i think that's what a like um you know an, an evolution of the narrative i think is the difference between the 1962 version and the 1991 version is that yes you know the 1962 they're they're telling a story you know it's like very um straightforward you know what i mean the the lines yep. between good and evil are are very clear uh good and bad uh motivations are very clear but in in the remake it's uh there's blurred lines there's gray areas uh there's sympathy for the antagonist you know and then there's uh you know some dark darkness with throughout all of the characters yeah everybody everybody in this movie has its flaws and uh it's uh it's difficult to like there's no one you can get behind 100 percent. but then on the other hand this is the interesting part that you can find something relatable in every character and their doings, and um, I mean the the uh, it's like in the in the original movie it's pretty much it's like it's a healthy family, healthy loving family, and uh, and it's about like how much would a like an honest man do to protect his family, and and this totally changed with with Scorsese's approach, and from what I found out in the in the special features. Is that this was the intriguing part that actually made him make the deal to make this movie? Because at first, like when when Bob De Niro like said like I want to do this movie, and you know like we always got great chemistry together, and uh, let, let, check this out, he was like uh, I don't know, man, and it's just like he said like whenever De Niro is like excited for a character, he knows if he can find something in the character too, it will be good movie. But then he said, like, I want to break up this family structure. And I mean, boy, there's some domestic misery in this family. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, uh, you know, infidelity. There's there's all sorts of, um, 
you know, there, there's there's hints of of a fractured family. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, we throw into the mix um, the young daughter uh, yeah. coming of age amidst yeah. all this domestic turmoil. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's just complex, you know, and yeah. and uh, and and the character of Max Cady too. Uh, the reimagining of this uh, more updated character is uh, into this very very scary individual, you know, and, and yeah. You know, of course, the 1962 version of Max Cady by Robert Robert Mitchum. Um, you know, at the, in 1962, he was a scary guy. But when you look back yeah. from 1991, he's just kind of like, oh. okay. Yeah, it's like, a, yeah, I've seen that character before. But I think in, in 91, that dark, very dangerous-looking character uh, that, how, uh, uh, that De Niro portrayed as Max Cady is, uh, is kind yeah. of fresh at the time. Yes, and and it's uh from from what I learned is that um the movie came out in '62, and they changed the regulations of movies in the states in '63, and then after '63 you were allowed to show more violence in movies and also darker darker images. So from what I understand in the book that this movie is based on, it's actually pretty harsh and like detailed descriptions of violence in it and but they couldn't show this in the original movie so it's like um i mean uh, robert mitchum is a handsome looking guy and like well dressed and he's he's threatening sure i mean for for like for us seeing it now it's definitely not as scary as like other roles but like i think back then it was like okay this is tense and this is scary and the family is wholesome and this guy is intruding but if you compare it to the to the angst and real anxiety that that De Niro is bringing to this family, which is already disgruntled in a way, and and he's like he's preying on this, and this is like before he dis, like before he wants to destroy Bowden, like he wants to destroy the family, and this is so intimidating. So I think the the, the Scorsese movie is like we can if you like print the name Cape Fear. You can really uh, make the fear big and in capital neon letters. Yeah. yeah, and the other the other thing they added to the Max Cady characters that uh, you know they, they demonstrated that he is actually an intelligent person. You know, yes, they show yeah. him uh, you know as as he's exiting prison, leaving behind um, a cachet of books. Including, uh, you know, various uh, Nietzschean philosophy and, uh, you know, books on on the legal system and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, he yeah. didn't. And when he went in, he didn't even know how to read. You know? Yes. So, uh, that, yeah. you know, he's like this kind of, uh, you know, Nietzschean overman who started as like nothing, basically, and built himself up into this very yeah. powerful figure. Yeah. And I, and I think that like the the reoccurring theme in this movie is the fear. And I, I don't know like if that was like by accident, but like it's I, I assume not because it's Scorsese. But I think like from looking at it, everyone is driven by fear. So like De Niro went to prison and he couldn't read, and he was like he was thrown. I mean, he was a bad guy. He did a horrible thing. He raped a sixteen-year-old girl and bad like rape and battery. But he had no like he had no idea of nothing. So he educated himself to like to get his freedom back because he he uh, applied for um, relief, uh, no release. And uh, 
so he he was driven by fear to like get free and act his vengeance out by introducing fear and then nolte uh like a bowden he's he ha he's afraid and like what happens in the end of the movie is also motivated by fear so also if you look at danielle she's she's afraid of her father she's afraid of the tension in the family and that's what de niro like what, what katie is preying on so everything is triggered by action and reaction fear and how you cope with your fears yeah i, w I would agree with that for sure and um and also about Nolte's character, uh, Bowden, um, it's it's that that indiscretion within his legal, uh, you yeah. know, responsibilities that gives you a a little bit of sympathy for Katie, even though it's reprehensible what he did. Obviously, he's a criminal. Obviously, he broke the law, and he has to go into the system, uh, theoretically for rehabilitation. But in this country, we know that. No one ever gets rehabilitated in the prison. They, they are, it's, yeah. it's a, a punishment for a crime. Uh, yeah. So whatever political viewpoint you have on it, it, he deserved to go to jail. Okay, so, and yeah. you know, in and of that, there's like a, a certain legal protocol you have to follow. And uh, Bowden decided that he wanted to play judge in this situation and suppressed certain evidence that and even and even this evidence could be debated whether or not it has any real relevance to the severity of the crime um, yeah. that may have uh, lessened the sentencing that Katie yeah. experienced. And even that thing, and apparently the evidence was that the victim had um, you know some kind of history of of uh, prom promiscuity, yes, and, and which is fucking crazy, man. She's like a twelve year old girl, right? <laughs> but and then, but that, but that, that's even another point that you can even really dial in and, and dig down into that. It's like, well, what difference does that have to do with rape? You know, whether or not that person was promiscuous or not, that's consensual sexual activity versus violence, you know? Yes. Yeah. And, and I think that, uh, I mean, Katie is a psychopath, hands on. Like, there's, oh, yeah. there's no, no arguing about this. But I think, as much as he's ruthless and violent, he's smart. I mean, he educated himself, but like what I think what he what he judges um, Bowden on is not that he like he went to prison and he knew I deserve it because I did something. And I mean, not he's not talking about like if he regrets doing it, but like he's pretty sure like he knows I did something fucked up and that's why I go to prison. But at least I spoke the truth and and uh, Bowden didn't speak the truth. He manipulated the law to his will to to get him arrested and uh, he buried the evidence. And I think if you like if you look and analyze that uh, unbelievable opening sequence and when you see De Niro the first time doing these these push ups, these these hanging push ups in, in the jail cell and seeing this cross tattooed on his back with one side with a Bible and the other one with a gun and it says truth and justice. And I think that's, that's the movie is about truth and fear. And, and as much as he's a fucked up character, he's like, he, he admits to like what he says and what he will do, he will do. Yeah. So like truth is a very sacred thing for Katie. Yeah. That that's, um, it's, that's a good point. 
and uh, the, the Max Katie character uh, is fascinating. And yeah. I, I heard an interview with Ron Perlman recently where he was talking about playing roles and he was saying even, you know, he's played, I forgot the character, but it was, he's like, yeah, that was a throwaway role because I just couldn't relate to the character. And it was, a, a, you know, an evil, like a antagonist, yeah. you know, and he was playing. And he says, for me to play a character, I really have to find something admirable about them, even if the person is pure evil. Yeah. You know, and I think that Katie is one of those type of characters where you look at his actions and they're they're horrible, but there are aspects of him that are very admirable, such as, you know, his uh reverence for the truth and his uh, self-improvement, uh, you know, his, his dedication to that, to improving himself yeah. when he went into jail. And that's stuff that, like that work ethic, it's like, at least for me personally, to see a guy who like turned himself single-handedly into something else is uh, one, yeah. of those, one of those aspects of his character that you kind of admire. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's motivated by, by hate and, and, the, 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 and, and vengeance but still, he does all that stuff. And dude, I mean, is there something more scary? I mean, if you, okay, you you get hunted by Michael Myers. Yeah, that's fucked up because you pretty much know you will end up dead. But like Michael Myers is something different. But the, the what they have in common is they're resilient as fuck. And and I mean, is is there something more scary than like a guy like De Niro that just won't stop? He's so, in, I mean, the scene when they flee, like to the, like when it goes to the, the, um, to the grand finale on the boat, when they flee the state to go to the boat to be in security, that De Niro is like underneath the car, <laughs> strapped there with two belts. And when, when like the, this one scene, like when they go on the boat and like the fisherman is just cleaning his other, like, I don't know, loading something and he straps off these, these belts and he comes like from under the car like totally soaked in dirt and he's just getting up like shaking off his hair dusting off his hair and walking off it's like oh man man this this guy is never going to stop yeah there there are aspects of like that unstoppable slasher guy you know there's like yeah. a horror element to this film as well which is like a kind of a superhuman effort that's put into this thing you know and yeah it's funny, like right around this time in the early '90s, that there was two two movies that scared the hell out of me, and this was one of them. The other was Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. after watching Cape Fear, and then a couple of years prior to that, seeing Henry, I never, yeah. I felt unsafe like all the time. Am I? You know, like I, I just felt like I was potentially perpetually like in danger, just out in public, yeah. you know. And yeah. Uh, yeah, that was like you know. A motivator for me man to start getting into like more 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 heavily into martial arts you know and i remember yeah. the scene where the those um those thugs show up to beat up uh katie yeah and he just, oh, just dispatches those guys i was like damn you know dude that's my favorite scene in the whole movie that like that that changed so much for me seeing this it like everything about this scene is perfect the way when he parks the car the two stickers on his bumper you're a VIP on earth. I'm a VIP in heaven. Then the, the, the Southern flag is like American by birth, Southern by the grace of God. <laughs> <laughs> then the, the, the looks, the looks of Katie in this movie. I mean, 
we talked about I I, I, I said before that like the, the the haircut of Lane Staley in the wood video for Alison Chains had a heavy impact on me. But dude, like running around in these these Hawaiian shirts with white pants, oh, yeah. the, the the haircut, the tattoos, dude, like Max Cady is such a stylish fuck in this movie, and I mean he's he's jacked up. It's like no wonder that the girls are like falling for him, even though like De Niro is not the cutest buy in the bunch, but like, dude, does he have style? So like when he gets out of the car. And these jackasses attack him, and he takes the first punches like a like a. I mean, you think like, okay, he's going down, and then you just see like the chain and the metal metal pipes. It's just like bounce off of him like some kind of superhero, and then he like annihilates these guys, and then like then he starts talking this this quote by Angelus Silesius, this this philosopher, this I am like God, and God is like me. Yeah, I love, I do. I love this so much. I cannot learn you. I cannot read you. I cannot think you, and I cannot philosophize you. And I'm like, is philosophize a word? I don't know. Probably not. I don't think it is either. Yeah. You know, I think it's a, you know, but it fits. And but and that's and in that moment, you admire him, though. You know what I mean? He's yes. like this kind of like you know, okay, this guy's like pulled himself out of this dark hole in his life, and yeah. the the upstanding member of society the lawyer the attorney is groveling yes. behind a, a dumpster like yes. voyeuristically observing this scene of these agents that he hired to do any, actually a crime to assault this guy yeah have been and dispatched dude, you know dude you know what i what i'd like just like when watching it last week for the i don't know 800th time or something i don't know but I've, I, as I said, this is my favorite scene in the movie. I've seen it so many times. And then, like, I, I just remember that my friends always said, like, when they called me, they're like, counselor, yep. counselor. And it's like, he knows he's there. Yes. He, he, he would have just to take, like, five more steps to the front behind the dumpster, and he would see him on his knees begging for mercy. But he doesn't. Because it's so much more of a psychological... I don't know, challenge or like threat. It's like, I know you're there. I'm talking to you. You can hear me, but I'm not going to strike now. I'll wait patiently. And that's so scary. I mean, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's my take on it too, is that he knew he was there. And, and that's like that the inversion of like the underworld and the overworld or the overman and the underman. Yes. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, it's like the, the upstanding member of society going into crime to resorting to criminal activity and and the yeah. criminal actually doing the more like uh, you know getting the upper hand in that situation you know and you actually sympathize with him you know i i just i just recent uh like i don't know last week i finally read uh the killing joke batman the mm. killing joke mm -hmm. I, mm. because I've, i always wanted it never got it got it now read it and it's, I mean, it starts with that scene where, where Batman goes to jail to talk to Joker. And it's like, we need to talk about this because otherwise at some point we will kill each other. This will not end well. And like, I read this and I think the same evening I watched Cape Fear again. I'm like, this is the same thing. It's like Bowden and, and, uh, and Katie, they act and they react. And it's just like, it gets worse and worse by the minute, you know? I mean, this is like the, to the point that a lawyer says like, okay, 
I took every action that is like rightfully like it's possible. I'm going to do like these un like the the unsavory thing now, and uh, then it fails. So he knows like okay, the next time Katie will strike, it will be harder, and and it's just like this cat and mouse game that goes back and forth all the time. Yeah, it just escalates. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's oh man, it's I don't know. There's there's so much, so many layers to the story, and and uh, it's it's well, you can can analyze everything in this movie, and it's it's sometimes it's difficult to not analyze everything, but like just the visual style of everything is so great. But then it's like I love it. I mean, we, we when we talked about um, life. And like I, I like I said, like this 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 song in the end is like Jefferson Airplane talking about like going to heaven, and like it's the other way around. And I love these tiny layers. And I mean, if you recall, like it starts out with this blue the water, and then it's the first thing you see is an eagle, so like a predator that comes and strikes, and then it like it moves, and then it's uh, the water turns red. And okay, there's a threat, but then you see this first again back to the first shot where it's in jail in the cell, and you see like the camera moving down. Before you see the books, you see the wall with the pictures he cut out. Yes. Have you ever paid attention to the pictures? Yes, I have. Uh, it's some uh, some of these like fascist um, like isn't one of them like Mussolini or something like that? Right, right. They're all like criminals and Lenin and and like these 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 horrible people, but. It is also has like it has um, uh, Black Bolt from the Inhumans, oh, and right. it also That's has right. a, and Mar Marvel like Captain Marvel, and and like in, in doing research for this episode, I'm like, okay, I need to find out what this is. And there's actually like it's from a comic magazine, from a comic book that came out in 1990, uh, where it's it's a three part series of Captain Marvel and the Inhumans teaming up. And it's just like, oh man, okay, so there's the superhero aspect, which I found in the scene I just described, where he gets like beaten to a pulp and then just gets gets up like Hulk Hogan in his prime, you know? Like nothing can destroy me, and then he takes takes them all out. And yeah, I don't know. It's almost like he's almost superhuman in a way, without ever like like hinting that there's some kind of I don't know, weird force like in Halloween six when all of a sudden he's like Michael Myers is like this I don't know sect relic I don't know thing but also in in Katie's mind I believe after you know I've seen this film a bunch of times too that I in his mind I believe that he thinks that he has actually the moral high ground in this situation yeah you know what I mean like his psychosis like because he's obviously not reformed you know, he when there's that scene when when the, they kill the he kills the dog. I mean, it's hinted at that he kills yeah. their dog, and the dog's missing, and Jessica Lang sees him, and and uh, he rolls up in the car, and they're having they have a brief conversation, and then Juliette Lewis's character comes out, and then he just locks in immediately yeah. on, you know, a, a a adolescent girl, you know, young lady, and you know yeah. right then and there that he's still a sexual predator. Like that's not changed. Yeah. So you you have that that duality of like, yeah, okay, you know, there's ad, these admirable traits, these like respectable traits, and then there's like he's still a sexual predator. So he's still like on the side of like the evil side of things, you know. 
I, I, I was thinking about that scene too. And that, that was my, my first take too. But then I thought like when he saw her, like he, this, this, this camera angle, the way he looks at her, it always was like surprised. So in my mind now, I think he's like, okay, there's another family member, someone else I can drag to hell with me. And which, which he does later when he, when he uh, impersonates her, um, her uh, theater, uh, what is it? The art teacher? Yeah, the uh, drama teacher. Drama teacher, right? Yeah. And and like when he when he gives her the book, and then like then the lures lure that this scene, man. This is such a great metaphor. When he when she uh, he invites her to the to the gym. No, what? Oh, dude, the, the, like the uh, theater. Terms. There's like a set. Like a, yes, right. Yeah. The big bad wolf. It's it's the house of the big bad wolf. And that's the way he's sitting in like in the shade. You can see just a silhouette. And she's 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 like the little girl that comes to the house of the big bad wolf. And then she realizes who he is. And still he's so tempting to her. And do then like when he talks about talks to her and then like for, like forces his finger into her mouth. Yeah. And kisses her. Oh, dude, that's so uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. And apparently that whole scene was improvised. Yes. Yeah. Oh man. Which says a How... lot about uh, Robert De Niro. <laughs> too, I, <guess>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I just I just saw like she was like Juliet Lewis was casted as the first like she was the first girl they interviewed and instantaneously De Niro said that's the girl and they had long talks to each other about how to do it but what I didn't find out and I wanted to like check on her birth date and how old was she back then? Uh let's see, Juliet Lewis. She was born in 19, so she's 47 now. Um, so I think 20, she was, uh, yeah, so she was like in her early 20s probably. So, see, because she was already an adult. Because what I found, like, in first I'm like, okay, she's play, playing a 16-year-old girl. And, I mean, she's acting all, like, childish in a way. But the girl in the original movie, except for having a weird-ass haircut, which makes her look like her head is like a wobble hat, but she's she's actually a small girl, and there's no like in the old. Oh, actually, I'm yeah. wrong. Julia, <laughs> according to my calculations, uh, Juliet Lewis was 16. Oh, so she was. All yeah. right. Okay. So well, then then it's then it's appropriate. But she she looks older, I think. But it, but again, it could be that I've seen her like being older, but not looking very much older. So I was just like. It's weird that she's like a little girl there because the girl in the original Kefir, she is really a little girl. Yeah. And and I mean, there's no hint of like being I, I think also was wasn't he like was Robert Mitchum, Max Katie. He was charged for battery, but not not for rape and not for battery of a girl. I think it was just some other crime. And and he was just like, I think, uh. Uh, Gregory Peck said that he's a monster and he did something wrong. He ran someone over by with a car or something. Yeah, and they don't. A, they they kind of yeah. shied away from the sexual stuff in 1962. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Okay. And I I, yeah. I I never read the book, which actually I, maybe I should read the novel at some point. Yeah. Um, but I I don't know how they characterize Katie in the novel. But um, but yeah, you know they they they. In 62, they really weren't dealing with these types of things. I mean, yeah. the only movie that comes to mind, um, you know, in Cold Blood, like all the latent, yes. the latent homosexuality in there isn't ever directly addressed. 
and I, you know what yeah. I mean? And it's like yeah. kind of inferred and all this other stuff, like, you know, cat on a hot tin roof. I mean, that came out, I think earlier, like the Tennessee Williams play, uh, mm -hmm. the actual play had a lot of like sexual overtones in it. And most of that in the film was, re was, uh, like there was no homosexual angle in there. It was all about, um, Paul Newman and Elizabeth Taylor's reconciliation, which isn't even really doesn't even make sense without the the homosexual like love triangle in there, you know. Yeah. So they, I mean, they stayed they, away from that kind of stuff back then. It seems like. Yeah, they they focused on that theme a lot in Nightmare on Elm Street too. Oh yeah! Wow. Well, yeah. Was it two or is it two or <laughs> no, three that the, has the no, um the, the three the right? Second. Is the second no, one? no, the third. The third is the good one. The, like I, I really don't like the second one, even though I love Nightmare. But the second one is the one in the house with the guy that like gets the. Um, he's screaming like a girl all yeah. the time, like this high pitched. That's the second one, which is like weird because like Freddy's inside of him and everything. Yeah. So even even if you, I don't know, did you have that that? Uh, did, you, did you see the documentary about Nightmare on Elm Street? This. Never sleep again. I've seen that one, and I've also seen the documentary about Nightmare on Elm Street two. I wasn't oh, okay. sure if it was yeah. two or three uh, about yeah. the actor and yeah. just the, all the problems he had and sort yeah. of homophobic stuff and and right. that in night in Nightmare two that was where the gym teacher is into some like uh, S and M like kind of yes. stuff and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, th I thought yeah. that I actually liked that movie. I thought that was good. I remember liking it. Yeah, it is okay, but if you compare it to one, three, and four, when it's just a different thing. Like after that, they kind of lose it, and the third one is the one uh, with all the kids and Yafet Kodo and everything, and that's one of the best. But yeah, the second one is kind of weird, but uh, that's also the one where where he's like at the be like at the pool party in the end yes. when he's the, yeah, it's 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 an odd movie, but uh, we're we're like we're just spinning around here. So yeah, Freddie steps all... into reality at the pool party. Yes, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Max Katie, he's also. I mean, he's um, it's definitely not made to be a horror movie, but he's like he's got some like as we said before, some horror villain traits to him. Yes, and it's also to like to back that up and also to what you said about him thinking that his 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 cause is just in the way he approaches when he um when he uh hooks up with uh with uh Bowden's uh co-worker uh, she she's in love with Sam and uh, I mean she's not his mistress but he he did like adultery before but like then then Katie picks her up in the bar in his finest spider-man shirt and um then then they he takes her to a room and then there's this uncomfortable scene where where he like starts like beating her up and then there's before he bites a chunk out of her cheek he says what he did to me was worse than I, what i will do to you so you know when he when he's like in the car next next to Bowden and he tells like so what, how do you prize being sodomized by four white guys? So in his mind, everything he had to suffer through is more terrible than everything he will do because it's the right way to do. And then, like, she's just, like, yeah, she's a means to an end. And just, like, like I'm not really sorry what I will do to you, but compared to what I have lived through, this year will be kind. Yeah, it's, it's just that, that reptilian logic that he has 
that is very uh very very scary and intimidating and uh you know and she's like because like the reality is they didn't do like Bowden and, and Ileana Douglas's character did not actually yeah they they verged on adultery but they never actually did anything they just played racquetball together you know what I mean yeah so yeah. she technically is like you know the the least um like the character who's done like the least wrong things I guess you know what I mean like she's an in, yeah. more more or less an innocent bystander in this whole drama yeah and for him it's just chess pieces that he knocks off the board and, and to use this like she she's you know she's legit a small piece in the chess board uh, in the chess game to go to the king and the queen go for the king and the queen so I wonder what ever happened to her Ileana Douglas I don't I haven't seen like, her in like forever yeah I, I also don't know like I remember like her being in Scorsese movies and like in some 90s productions I, I, I was she an identity I don't know that's also a movie I want to go back to I remember that I really liked identity but I, I haven't seen this in ages I, I literally only recall her being in movies in the 90s you know yeah let's see mm. she was uh, I, she's she's been back all right 2021 she's doing TV She's in pre-production for a film, a TV, another TV series called Sprung. Okay. She plays Barb. <laughs> but <laughs> Barb. yeah, so like, see, let's see now. Like, yeah, throughout most of the last decade, she's been doing um, like t television. Mm. She's on The Simpsons. She did like a voice on The Simpsons. Okay. All right, so she's doing okay. All right, good. All right. I'm, I'm happy. She, she, yeah, she's still alive. She's still kicking. Good. Cause you know, yeah, women, women act actresses have it tough, man. You know, it's like, you know, like men actors, you know, they can age and, uh, you know, yes. they, they grow into roles, like they age into certain roles, but women, like once they hit like a certain age, I guess it seems like the, the calls stop coming, you know what I mean? Or, or you're, you're playing like a, you know, some matron or something like that, you know, which yeah. is unfortunate. Yeah, there's like two chances. Either you're all plastic and you just don't get any younger and you always play the same role. Or you get like like Jessica Lange being in all the American Horror Story seasons and always being the weird woman with the high-pitched voice. And I'm like, ah, I don't know. I mean, I, I just saw the first two seasons and I really didn't like it. Yeah. But I just saw like from all the trailers that she's in all of those or pretty much in all of those. And I always think, like, she's such a good actor. I should watch it just because of her, but I just can't because it's so bad. I I, I, um, I have to admit that I, I actually have, I watch, uh, I've seen all the seasons of American Horror Story. And, and, okay. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to um, defend it. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of yeah. things about it that are definitely, but I go in for a lot of cheesy stuff like that sometimes, especially in the horror genre. Yeah, of course. I mean, it, it's something like, I don't know, I, I saw the Lovecraft Country series and that was also not really well done, but it was entertaining that, that I mean, there's, it's hard, there's, there's not a lot of like good shows that like depict horror that are good. I heard that Them should be really good, which is on an Amazon, which is based on the Us movie. Yeah. But yeah, so this should be good. I, 
I, I remember, I do remember, I didn't know if you ever watched it. Like I re- recommended that Spanish HBO series, oh, 30 coins. Absolutely. I watched it. That was great. I really, I really liked it. Got it. What that was, but it was just, it was something like dark, the, the German production, which like, it is really daring and they go all in. And I mean, there were some, like some scenes in, in 30 coins where it was like, okay, well, it's a European production and they could have done this better. But then again, like in the last episode with all the swine pig heads in, in, in the church and everything, that's just like, okay, they go all in. And I, I really loved that show. That was great. But I mean, the, the American Horror Story, I mean, I, I have kids in school that always have the shirt on, uh, normal people scare me. You know, it's, it's kind of like the people equal shit shirt from Slipknot. So it's like for the kids that want to be outsiders. Yeah. but are really not and i can i mean if i had time and i had nothing to watch i'm i probably watch american horror story because it's well produced but i think i i mean you talked about dexter on on um on necromaniacs and that was a kind of like a show in the same realm that i enjoyed even though it was corny and at some some points even pathetic but i just keep <laughs> watching it and <laughs> yeah yeah, I, I I get what you're saying about American Horror Story. It's definitely like the new metal of horror. You know what I mean? That's yeah, a, that was good, a very good, good yeah. uh, you know parallel you drew between yeah. Slipknot and and I'm not above that. Honestly, it's like uh, I I so you're um, a Slipknot fan? No, no. Well, all right, you know. So all right, hold on now. Okay, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna be completely honest about my feelings about Slipknot. All right, I, I'm not. I don't own any of their records. But out of all of those bands that are doing that style, yeah, they actually have. And, and I am putting my ego aside. You know, I don't care if anyone wants to criticize me or say I'm a poser or whatever. They're actually not that bad as a band. And I'll tell yeah. you how how that crept up on me is when when um, <clears throat> we were on tour with ISIS several years ago. A long t- actually it has to have been a long time ago at this point. We uh, we did just the West Coast, so we had to fly into the West Coast and rent equipment, and we had a driver, okay? And the guy that we had driving us was like a, a typical like crew kind of dude, you know? He was, um, you know, would tour with like, you know, bigger like bands like Testament and Exodus, and I think he toured with Slipknot as part of their backline engineer crew or whatever. And mm-hmm. I, all I did was talk, I mean... He asked me one time on the tour about like, oh, do you like, I go, nah, fuck that. That shit's like totally like whack, you know? Mm. And then we were driving somewhere and we were listening to like, I don't know, like, uh, you know, typical shit that we listen to on the road. And then he put on a record and it was like this really intense, like, uh, you know, metal. And, and he's like, oh, you know who this is? And uh, I, I go, I go, wait, who is this? I asked him. And he's like, oh, you're never going to believe who this is if I tell you. And he's like, it turned out to be the second Slipknot album. Yeah. And, that one with the, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know any of the songs. I, don't, I mean, I can't really listen to like entire records by them, but it's like, I have to say, man, that there's some, there's some stuff on there that actually is pretty cool. And I'm not, once again, I don't go in for the, the masks and the plastic heads and whatever and like the, the get up. And all that, yeah. But uh, I've never seen them live, you know. But they have some pretty brutal riffs, man. I have to say, 
Yeah, they're they're definitely the hardest. Like when it comes to just straight up hard sound, and like they have blast beats. So the first, that the second one is the Iowa record. I still remember that one, and that starts out with that super fast song. And I think that it, I'm I'm totally like on your side when it comes to this. I'm also an unapologetic. Like as I told you, like I love the Deftones. Yeah, and I have, I have like two Corn records that I think are cool. I don't. I mean, I can't stand these guys when I look at them. And, <laughs> I, st- I still I still would I think if someone gave me a ticket to say hey, you want to go to see Corn Life, I probably go because I think they put on a great live show and I think Slipknot even more. I, I mean the the masks are goofy and everything, but still I think it should be an entertaining show. So sometimes it's also cool to see bands like this. Um, but yeah, also I th- don't think Slipknot is a terrible band. It's just like. Yeah, the same with what people say about my favorite band, New Model Army. It's like great band, horrible fans. And if you go to a New Model Army concert, there are people that I, I don't want to be related to, you know, like with sausage hair and go barefoot to a show. It's like, it's not my type of people. Still, I love this band. And I'm not comparing New Model Army to, to Slipknot, but um, I mean, you get the point. It's just like, it's not every band is horrible because of their fans, but definitely like american horror story the shirt and the 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 audience they have is kind of like yeah like the new metal of horror shows yeah there's 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 a crossover with that you know what i mean there's a lot of a lot of things like even channel zero i don't know if you ever checked that out no like it's on uh shutter and it's like i guess i forgot i think it was on like maybe the sci-fi channel or something but okay there's like three seasons of that it's very i enjoy it i thought it was good but it is a, it is a little new metal. There's like things in there that have trappings of that new metal horror thing. You okay. Know, like, you know, like a marionette and like a doll. You know that kind of shit. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah it's yeah, like yeah. this very like hot topic kind of thing. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this the the crazy crazy aspect is when I go to school and we've got like some outsider kids there, which are classic like outsider looking. So you could almost call them goth kids. And some of them like have these uh, American Horror Story shirts on and everything. I once went over to them and thought like, I'm the sneaky, cool old teacher. I'm like, hey, you guys, you're always on the outside here, right? It's like keeping to yourself. Which one is your favorite The Cure record? And they're like looking at me like, what? What's The Cure? I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. So what are you lis- listening to? We're all just listening to BTS. I'm like, what the fuck is BTS? Do you know what BTS is, Mike? No. It's it's a it's it's a K-pop band. It's a boy group coming from Korea, and um, all the goth kids now they don't listen to the Cure. They don't hang out at grave like on graveyards <laughs> and being miserable. They listen to Korean pop music, watching animes, and listen, uh, reading manga comics. And that's all they do. And that's pretty much the new outsider thing. So we're outsiders to outsiders now. Yeah, I, a few years ago, I realized that I'm completely irrelevant like to young people. You know, like they're <laughs> in a completely different realm of, of consciousness than I am. You know, the things that they're into. You know, yeah. it's just like, yeah. You know, but that, well, getting back to American Horror Story, maybe that is probably the most intense thing they've seen so far. You know, maybe yeah. that's, maybe that's the gateway into the real deal. You know, who knows? But the the funny thing is, when the with the kids, and I mean, probably again with the streaming we talked about earlier, everything is accessible all the time, 
And the funny thing is my class where I'm the head teacher, they're seventh graders now. So they're between, let's say, 12 and a half to 14 years. And I, we, we spoke about science. Like there was a topic in the English book and I, I approached it with like, what is science fiction? And like, I was like, okay, so what, like I named them some movies and I asked them what genre this is because I always tried to teach them that. And like, then I was like, okay, horror, horror. I assume they know horror. So I was like, do you know American Horror Story? Yeah, that's horror. Okay. Is there any other horror you know? Because I was like, okay, let's see what they know. I love Chucky. Oh, Jason is my favorite. I'm like, what? Huh? So like these kids know Chucky. They know Jason Voorhees. They know Michael Myers. They know Freddy Krueger. So the classics never go out of style, it seems. Yeah. But to most people, I guess American Horror Story will be the most extreme thing they saw. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just hope that they catch on to some of the really cool, um, you know, newer things that have been going on in like the last 10 years. You know, for, yeah. for example, like Seder. You know, something like that, yes. you know, and, and yeah. uh, Black Mountainside and, you know, like I hope yeah. that the, I, that stuff is a little way slower, you know, and yes. I don't know if they would really I feel like that's something that might slip by these people, you know, without because they want the fast, cheap thrills, yes. you know. Yeah. And that's um, that's exactly like to go back to our main topic. It's like if you watch the original Cape Fear the, the story progresses fairly fast. Still, the movie is very slow. And also the, the, the 91 Cape Fear is like, it takes time. It like, takes time for angles and shots. But everything the kids today want is fast-paced. So if you, like, if you compare it to zombie movies, the remake of Dawn of the Dead, or when 30 Days... Uh, no, what's that? Uh, 30, not 30 Days of Night, that's the vampire movie. Um, 28 Days uh, Later. Tw tw yes, right. Yeah. So running zombies is more appealing to them than slow zombies. And uh, I was like talking to some older kids in school and they were asking me about good horror movies. And so of course they, they love the Conjuring franchise, which I'm totally down with. I, I really like them for like such a big hit. They're still kind of scary and, and well done, but they watch a lot of crap. They prefer the it movie. And I'm like, dude, that it is horrible. The old it is the shit, but like not that one. But then they asked me about good news stuff. And I was like, okay, what is there to suggest that they might actually like? And here's like a, 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 like a bridge to the, um, the omnipresent dread and like someone being resilient and unstoppable like Max Katie. I suggested it follows to them. And they all love it follows. Oh, because, good. Yeah. Uh, because I think that this, this appeal of something that just, doesn't stop and is like lurking and like moving towards you. I think this image like still resonates with kids. And I think if you get kids, like if I have some kids that like it follows, I would definitely introduce them to films like Seder and stuff. But I think to understand Seder, the, 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 the whole atmosphere and everything, you need to be a bit older. So I don't know. That's probably, yeah. Maybe you start with Blair Witch and then go to Seder. I could see that. Yeah. I mean, I uh, I interviewed Jordan Graham, the guy who made basically single handedly made the movie, and uh, yeah, it's funny how uh, I mean he did the score, right? And I asked him okay. about that, uh, and he's like, I have no idea how to play music at all. I just huh. I bought a bass, and I just banged on stuff, and I manipulated things, and and not not even like a normal like 
you know, most people would use Pro Tools, but he used like like Audible, uh, which is like a, um, you know, it's like a mic. Um, one of the, it's part of like the uh, premiere like film editing. Yeah, thing, you know, like some, yeah. you know, and yeah, and he doesn't even like extreme music. He doesn't know. Like to me, I you listen to the score for that film, and you're like, yeah, oh yeah, this is like, you know, Sun. Mm. You know, maybe uh, Bo Ren and Decult of Gore or something like mm. that. You know, like that kind of vibe. He didn't know anything about that stuff. Oh, nice. He was like, yeah, I'm into like Metallica. And like, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> damn, man. Like, I, I was like, yeah, you made, you basically made this like ambient music record for the score of your film. And you like, like an idiot savant, like completely made this amazing album, you know? <laughs> It's it's comparable to the Hagatsusa movie I we we spoke about briefly where I, I like in that cinema I mentioned earlier on I uh, I saw Hagatsusa there with the actual director because it was his uh, I think his finishing project for his studies the film studies and yeah. this this guy was a young handsome looking motherfucker and he had a Danzig shirt on and like he didn't look like a metal dude. But then also the, the poster art for Hagatsusa is done by Aiden Baker, who's in Nadia, mm -hmm. who's like this ambient yeah, band. I know. I, and, I actually and, know Aiden, actually. Yeah. Huh, okay. And uh, so he's like, yeah, man. I, I talked to him later about this. And he's like, oh, do you, like, do you play music? He's like, yeah, I'm in a band called Ulfa. And he's like, oh, man, I saw Ulfa in Munich and blah. It was really cool. And he said, like, I did the soundtrack myself. I have no idea about music, how to do this. But it's just like I, I got some reverb pedals and some delay pedals and just like hit the microphone against something and just recorded it. And it was just like, OK, that's exactly the way that DeWitt so many years ago told me how he did the Psy Warfare stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's cool that this is like still happening that total someone's like just go out and just like just fucking do it and i have totally appreciate this which makes the whole Seder thing even more appealing to being a fucking great movie yeah anyone out there who's interested in checking that that interview out and wants to find out what this movie is that we're talking about would uh mm. check out not only the interview with the director creator of that film which is the necromaniacs we also uh mike and i also discussed the film in detail in uh, one of the yeah. episodes that came out a few few months ago. Yeah, good back-to-back -back listens. Highly suggested. Yeah. But do you know that Cape Fear is an actual place? I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah, it's an actual town in uh, North okay. Carolina. And ah, it's, okay. um, <clears throat> yeah, it's very much off the beaten path. Mm. It's uh, on a peninsula that juts out into the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, it looks like the kind of place where, um, you know, maybe uh, a psychopath might stalk you and your family. Yeah, I mean, this is, again, the setting that we love so much from uh, True Detective Season 1. I don't know, where, where's this place? This is also North Carolina? Because it looks like the moss in the trees. Oh, no, 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 no. True Detective is uh, Louisiana. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's another very... that Well, in general... Um, New Orleans is has like a dark energy about it just yeah. you know with all the creole like voodoo legends and you know yeah. that whole thing man that's like a city that is like uh you know st like steeped in uh black magic and voodoo and witchcraft and all that kind of stuff 
And um, yeah. but but uh, yeah, True Detective actually does doesn't take place actually in New Orleans in some small mm. town, somewhere yeah. I guess maybe towards like uh, the the Texas border possibly. Yeah, but but you know what what conversation would be highly entertaining for us as like observants? What's that? If Rust Cole meeting Max Cady. Oh yeah, man. Phil- philosophing like philosophy about life, you know. <laughs> the- <laughs> Time is the Avenger, uh, like all the like the super religious maniacal twists, and the other one the total nihilist. So yeah, so, yeah, that uh, would be exactly because yeah. because Katie Katie believes in in a higher power, like he believes in God. He's a Christian, you know, like yeah. probably some you know snake handler style, uh, you know, evangelical version of Christianity. But yeah, yeah. But I mean, this is that's also a recurring theme with what we talk about: our fascination with serial killers and religious cults. So that this figure of Max Cady, and it, it just like falls into that realm. And again, it's like the same around the same time. I mean, I didn't see Cape Fear in '91, but I met my my buddies that I spoke about in the um, point point of entry episode of Metal Matters. Like my old mates from where my first band, Repugnant, which was like a Clevo styled Holy Terror kind of hardcore band. And they introduced me to all this stuff like Ringworm, Intech, Starkweather, Gehenna, Overcast, and all these bands. And they also, like Andy, the singer, he gave me a VHS copy of Cape Fear. And he's like, dude, check this out. You will love it. And it's the same thing, like this religious maniac. In a way, the the stuff Dwight is writing lyrics about. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's a good good uh, you know compare comparison really. Yeah. Um, the the uh, you know that that part that we were discussing with the assailants attacking Katie, and yes. um, you know uh, Bowden cowering in the shadows. That that dialogue is actually uh, used as a sample in a buzz oven song. Oh really? Yeah, I forgot what song it is, but it's I think it's on uh, on the Soar record. It's like okay, they they're playing these like evil, like Sabbath esque riffs in the background, and they use that sample of like I am like God and God is like me, you know that kind of thing. Yeah. All right. Sweet. Yeah, Yeah, it's also there's a second um, another dimension to that, you know. It has like a lot of cultural relevance, especially throughout the 90s. I mean, there's a Simpsons episode completely about this topic where Sideshow Bob tries to kill Bart and it's called Cape Theory. And it's just like a whole episode dedicated to this movie. And it, it pops up now here and there. But I actually just recently and I think maybe the idea for um, for doing this episode with you came from uh, we had the first author rehearsal in forever where, where our guitar player came from berlin so we were the first time in one room after 14 months or something and uh we were taught like he was like staying at my place and after rehearsal we were hanging out because there was still was curfew so we hung out here had pizza and watched some stuff and uh, we talked about music and we came to this old german like hardcore in the furthest sense kind of bands like sistral merzer right and and these like metallic bands and of course there was one band from that time which i still think is one of the best we had and no one gives a shit about 
and has our good friend burned beyond recognition on board. <laughs> fear, fear is the path to the dark side. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. I, and I was they, just talking about that band actually. Oh, really? Yeah, I was just talking. It, I, I think I was at, I was at a Tombs band practice and I was talking about that. Yeah, and like the, the record, like they, I mean, they had the seven inch came out like way back, and then they had all the lineup changes. And then they recorded uh, the full length, Only the Dead Have Seen the End of War, and a split record with Fear My Thoughts. And the, the, the Only Dead Have Seen the End of War starts with the Cape Fear theme. And I oh. remember when I saw them live at their farewell show, I and mean, it was, was way before the time that we actually all knew how to operate loop stations for samples. So Burns just had like a tape deck with the, with the soundtrack recorded and just put the microphone in front of the tape deck. And, uh, and so that they had the intro and then they started. And this record is to this day so fucking heavy and so good. And you can find it anywhere. I have to like, I have to contact Burns on Facebook and tell him to like, I don't know, upload the MP3 somewhere because you could just find like three songs on YouTube of that record. And they're like a rip of the vinyl, but the whole record in itself, you can't find it anywhere. Does, is, was there ever like an actual digital version, like a CD of that record come out? No, no. It's just like Burned only did vinyl on his record. There's like, there's a CD of a split with Fear My Thoughts because they were back then, they were on that, on that, um, uh, what, what is that called? Um, metal, no, dude, like this metal, metal, metal core, right? So the, the stuff that everybody tried to sound like at the gates. Mm-hmm. And and like these bands like Caliban and Heaven Shell Burn and, and all these bands and few of my thoughts were in that wave and they had a label that wanted to put out a CD so these five songs of this of the CD you can find digitally but I don't think there was a vinyl like a CD master done for that record right. but still like there should be some MP3s or WAV files at least that sound better than a rip of the vinyl on YouTube. Yeah. What is burned up to these days? Um, lat, I mean, he dyes his hair blonde. That's oh. all he does. And he, no, I mean, he's, uh, I mean, he lived with, with his ex-girlfriend's parents, like for, for years. And then he got an own apartment in Heidelberg and he's a total, I mean, he would actually be a guy you could have like on a podcast because he's an absolute movie nerd. He's like, he has his own home cinema. Oh, wow. And I, I just remember him, like, I mean, when we all know him as the hardcore police, because when he, like, in the early 90s in the hardcore scene, he had Abolition, this band, and he did put out a magazine. And he was like, if you speak about abortion, uh, you're like an asshole. If you're not vegan, you're an asshole. So he was like the super PC kid. And nowadays, I think he... Last thing I saw him was like defend. Uh, I spit on your grave for being like a good movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I, I didn't really, like, I didn't really care for him that much when we were on tour together. To be honest, yeah. like I was like, eh, I could take or leave this guy. Really. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he's a he's a weirdo. He always was, and I mean, I lost contact with most most of these people a while back. But like, he still pops up in my feed on Facebook with other friends, uh, mutual friends we have. But I have no contact with him. I just know that he's a huge movie maniac. Yeah, he must look like a like I can't even picture him with blonde hair. Yeah, I mean, handsome, skinny dude with long blonde hair, man. <laughs> I yeah, he he was kind of a rock star in in uh, whenever I remember when we were over there with him driving us that he was like he had a, a 
he was like a sailor man in every city he had some like hot like german chick that wanted to hang out yeah. with him yeah he was he was the man like back then stack and fears the path his label he run this message board that everybody was on and i mean they had their reputation and he he knew his way around the ladies definitely yeah i mean you know I'm not saying anything about this, but, you know, there might be, uh, you know, like some kind of a sexist uh, accusation, you know what I mean? Like with him, I don't know, yeah. you know, like I don't a, know. a womanizer, you know, that's, that's nah. not so popular to, to be these days, yeah. I guess. No, I, I, I have no idea, man, but there's like, <laughs> what, 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 what still holds up to nowadays? I don't know. Like the guy, as I told you before, the guy that like gave us the most shit for playing the show with Inquisition being like the super PC guy and like he's like, yeah, I know, you, you studied philosophy. He's the guy that got drunk at Ayotz at Bielefeld and, and like tried to force a girl to kiss him and Ooh. shit like this. So, yeah, you know, it's like, like I could I could have played that card several times in the run of this discussion with Inquisition and us. I, I never dared to because it was just too stupid. And it's just like, yeah, man, if you if you want to run your mouth and you're one of these uh PC warriors behind a keyboard, dude, be my guest. But it's disappointing because actually, like when we spoke, he was always nice. But then again, it's like, oh, now you're playing with that Nazi band. They're not a Nazi band. Yes, they are. They took pictures in front of a Nazi flag when they were 16. It's like, no, they're not a Nazi band. It's a, oh, yeah, man. I don't know. Can cancel culture, you know? <laughs> there's real, and the worst part about it is there's real shit going on these days yes. in the world. You know? yes, it's yes. like, that's what you got to be concerned about, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, man. So that's uh, that's Cape Fear and a bunch of other stuff, too. <laughs> yeah. You want to end up on a rating for this one? Absolutely. I mean, I, 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 mean, I think we know what that is, but go ahead. It, yeah, six out of five. <laughs> yeah, ten, six, ten, twenty out of yeah. five. Yeah, it, it's, it's one of my all-time favorite films that Scorsese's done, to be honest. I mean, Taxi Driver. Yep. I mean, he's done so much great work, especially from, like, the 70s through the 80s into the 90s was, like, you know, I mean, I mean that's debatable, too, but, I mean, he made some yep. great films later in his career, too, but um, I feel like that was hit after hit after hit after yeah. creative milestone. You know, like, he, Scorsese really was on fire during this period. Yeah, and this one is really out of his game, actually. Like, not not the actual stuff he usually does. I mean, he 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 came fresh out of Goodfellas. Yeah. So he did Goodfellas, and then like De Niro was like, "Let's do this," and he was like, "Ah, I don't know." But then he's like, he approached it like I think it's it's almost Hitchcockian in a way. It's like the cinema noir thing he does with also with the 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 being like inverting the camera to negatives. Yeah. Which you like it's it's yeah, it reminded me a lot of like how Hitchcock would do it. And I think he's like, Yeah, okay, so this is something different and this is the way I wanna approach it and make it my own. So like within his boundaries or like I mean boundaries with him is like his style. Like he did something completely different and made it that that more special because in the whole context of Scorsese's films, this is definitely an odd one out. Yeah, like you were saying, especially for that time, like most of his yeah. films were like, you know, gangster, Italian-American, New York City, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, 
as we I mean we we praised this movie a lot this this last sixty minutes or something and like if someone is out there who's listening to this and hasn't watched this movie, it's a definite must watch. If you're like into anything that like this addressed on this podcast most of the time, being it with Randy or like you alone and everything, like I think this movie is quintessential. Agreed. Well, thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Take care.